What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly what's going on pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan. Day, what's it, like high 40s-ish something, 50-ish something of Mm. quarantine out out in these streets. And I'm with my co-host, as you just heard, Dave Martinson. Dave, how are you doing, man? Uh, We know we're doing good. We're on demon time, like 5 or 4 and we're chilling. But uh, (laughs) yeah, man, days are blending. The content well is doing well for us this week. We'll see about next week. But yeah, man, it's uh, it's weird out here. South by Southwest doing virtual festival right now on mm-hmm. Amazon. So times are times are times are different. Alas, Certainly different. They've been different for fifty days. Everyone knows that. <laughs> um, we we do have quite a bit to talk about today, like you said. So if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, share us with friends, go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod to listen to us any way you want to. Um, and also go to our Twitter uh, at nostalgia pod, where we sometimes tweet about things that we don't talk about on the podcast. But today we got music, TV, and movies. So let's jump right into it. Uh, we, we had quite a few things planned out, right? We had a couple of movies we want to talk about, definitely a couple of TV shows. Something we were not planning on was the Smino surprise mixtape. She already decided mixtape uh, dropping earlier in the week. Smino, we've talked about on the podcast before. I think we both see the potential. I think we both feel like this is a, a very good rap hip-hop artist. But I was really impressed with this mixtape, Dave. Um, I, I in the the name that kept coming up for me was Mac Miller. Ooh. As we were listening to this, I kept getting such strong Mac Miller vibes right from the first song, um, front uh, front Isley to uh, the song already. I felt like his voice and delivery were around there with Mac. Cotton Candy, the right around the chorus, like the way that. He structured that and layered it. I was like, this is really giving me some serious Mac Miller vibes. Maybe not most recent Mac Miller, but like, I don't know, maybe an album or two back from this most right. recent one from Circle. Sure. So some, some really strong vibes. I was wondering, did you also have this experience where you were really happily surprised with the Smino album? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did, I did like She Already Decided a lot. And it's funny because it's truly a traditional old school mixtape it's only on soundcloud you can download it for free like the old days it's not on spotify or apple music and that's because like a traditional mixtape a lot of this is uncleared samples sometimes of popular hit songs you know it's just kind of refreshing because these don't really get put out anymore because you like can't monetize it so it's like Mm -hmm. been devalued you know and on top of that despite you know just kind of giving us a data dump of songs he's not going to put on that album his third album he's working on there's like a lot of variety on this and i think that's why the mac comp makes some sense because smino has already demonstrated that he has a lot of soul influence and funk influence in addition to being a hip-hop artist and mac certainly dabbled in all kinds of genres in his time but like smino you know man i thought like what's that song like ohio like which is like a straight soul song and then like the song after that is Jamie Box, where he does a really fire freestyle over Roddy Rich's The Box. Yeah. Like, there's actually a lot going on here, you know? And I, uh, you can actually look, the SoundCloud numbers are pretty strong. It seems like his fans really went out and listened to this, which is good. Um, so, yeah, I thought this was great. Yeah, I, I really was 
pleasantly surprised at exactly what you said that this really felt like a mixtape and you know uh with especially with soundcloud culture and soundcloud rap being so popular you were getting some of this still but it was mostly becoming like original songs that were being put on there um and even mixtapes that all had original beats to them um but this really had that old school feel to it uh and the first time i really perked up was when um uh, cabbage which a sample savage and uses that beat um came on and i was like wait is this what and then like i really was like oh wow he's actually doing this style which i appreciated and i i really thought most of the songs are pretty good i mean there were a few that i was like yeah okay i'll skip through this one or this one's just not hitting the same um but then to end with t-pain on the track on clink the remix who sounded fire i was just like this is this is some great shit yeah 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 and like was it 16 tracks but i I thought it actually moved pretty fast a lot of these are some short songs but Mm -hmm. yeah um yeah like it's like 40 minutes so um in addition to the savage freestyle in the box we all he also does black soda which is a i thought a really fire rip off baby keem's orange soda that was awesome um mm-hmm. and for the box freestyle i really liked how he played with the um uh, uh eater you know from the box yeah it's like can't tell if they said the eater if they do uh get ready to go to the er or something right like uh, white kids <laughs> saying the n-word that shows like oh, that's actually really a really awesome line and like you know he, he i think smino has always shown talent and to be able to like kind of like throw in little lines and stuff in his music even when he's making these like like even like on, on no, uh, noir back in 2018 second album like the way he would like even make songs about like weed like it's like oh wait this is just like a lot more high-minded than mm-hmm. some of the other stuff out there you know? uh, so, high-minded hey 420 hey. just happened that's when he dropped this how about that <laughs> um uh, any other tracks that really stood out to you uh i liked popeyes as well in the beginning and uh was it good old julio yeah. the drums were really sick on that one you just but grabbed yeah. the two i was gonna bring up Fl- uh, go. the, his flow on popeyes i thought was uh fantastic and i'm i'm really uh i'm really excited for this third album to drop so uh, you better know we'll be talking about it, and we'll, uh, if we could add a song to this, our playlist, we would. But mm-hmm. this is a mixtape on SoundCloud, so we can't. He he did release a single, a loose single on services uh, on March 30th called Tempo, and I don't think that track's pretty good. So maybe we'll throw that in the playlist. But yes, me know. If you don't know, now you know. Someone else that you, if you don't know about, uh, that that's okay because they're newer. But you'll know about now is Five Yo Foreign who yeah. we've recently talked about on our uh, XXL freshman list. Uh, so check that out, which we recently dropped. Um, 800 BC, his first first real official album. Um, Dave, I was pretty pleasantly, like I, I, I walked away from this pretty happy. I felt like there was a lot of saminess on this record, but overall, like the beats were heavy. Five Yo brought a lot of energy. He had some pretty big uh, guests on this, which I was mm. pretty surprised at. And it, it was short. It was, I think it was like eight tracks, something like that. It went by yeah. quick. Like I, I was, I was happy with this as like a, a debut album. How are you feeling about the 800 BC? Oh yeah, dude. I thought this shit was great. Um, become a really big five year fan of late. Like you said, the beats are tough as shit because like Brooklyn drill, other, all the other Brooklyn drill hits, including big drip, uh, 808 Mellow and Axel Beats are all over this thing and you just have that menacing 
dreary production that we associate with this subgenre. And I think Five Yo, this is just it doesn't like reinvent the wheel of what we expect from him, what we expect from like the, the faces of, of drill, but it's kind of just like a standard bear. And I think he actually has a lot of personality on the mic, even if he's making mainly the same types of songs, I think he'd actually he has more personality than someone like two, two G's who two, two G's probably goes a lot harder, but five EO just, he, he really does feel like a star to me. And seeing these big these big features, Meek Mill, Quavo, Little Baby, um, I think that 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 bodes well for him. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Big Drip. That, I mean, that was that that was probably like the the that and Welcome to the Party last year. Like, I think Big Drip came out like a week after Pop Smoke Welcome to the Party last summer. So, mm-hmm. like, that was like the big the big the big coming out party for Five Year outside of New York City, and. I think this is a, a smart follow-up, you know, like just a- have some more. Some of these songs are already out, like Weddy was already out, the Big Drip remix was already out, but the rest of the songs are all new. Mm. And yeah, I think this is just kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm Fabio Four and I'm the face of Brooklyn Drill. Pop Smoke's not here, it's me now. Um, and I'm here to stay. That's kind of the vibe I got off this. And, you know, even, you know, I mean, it, it, you're right, it is mainly samey more or less. I think Drive By, the opening track, definitely is a, a more of a storytelling intro track uh, i really like that one and then it's a vibe he's almost trying to switch it up a little bit mm-hmm. you know um the way he talked about interviews he's like yeah i know i i need to diversify sometimes so i'm just gonna sing as well as i can and hope for the best you know i appreciate that <laughs> attitude you know some people think they're really good singers to baby so uh when, when someone's just honest about what they can and can't do i respect that um but my favorite song was ambition with little tj yeah. that shit just is so fucking hard and yeah. in general i think fabio four and just type of shit and i love this yeah uh, i was i was gonna say though the one song even though it did sound similar to the rest uh the one with tj i felt like, like they just played off each other really well yeah. um it goes hard i just was like this is probably the one that stands out i'm adding it to our playlist as we speak um but it, it sounds like the way you're seeing this is basically like a i'm here to stay like I'm the face of this, like I'm the king of this genre. So pretty badass. Yeah. Also, I, does he have the best ad libs in the game right now? The AA is like a trademark of his. <laughs> and even like the bow, bow, you know, like, like speaking to that, like Drake teased a snippet of a track he did with 5 4 in a few weeks back. And you hear Drake doing the AAs, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think that that means yeah. something. So yeah, man. I'm, I'm just really happy this is out there. <laughs> I can tell. I'm glad to see you so excited. And uh, you feel like he's a lock for the, the freshman list, right? If he's not there, something's wrong. Let's put it that way. And, and if he's not there, <laughs> we'll be talking about it. <laughs> Stay tuned. Uh, we're going to be talking about it regardless. Um, and someone else will be talking about, hopefully when she drops a full-length feature, is Kaylee Yukis. 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 Who dropped um, dropped her newest EP to feel alive? Uh, Follow up to Isolation from 2018, which would have been such a, a more appropriate title uh, to drop at this time. Ah, but points regardless, it <laughs> we we really liked that Kaylee Uchis uh, mm-hmm. We should look that up. Um, we really liked that album mm-hmm. a lot, and we we felt like there's a lot of potential, um, but that she really established herself as a, 
an up-and-coming pop star in, in this genre and i was really digging a couple of the songs on this ep not all of them actually i thought the title song of this ep i was like this is a little bit slow not enough energy for me but the two songs in the middle angel and mm-hmm. i want war i was like this is some like neo pop like yeah. shit that is like perfect and i'm i'm down with it man so i I found myself really digging those two tracks um the other two were a bit unmemorable how are you feeling about the cp yeah yeah you're right we really did like isolation in 2018 Um, i had just a stranger her song with steve lacy that was in my top 10 that year um you know she had some notable tyler the creator collaborations i think that's how she got on most people's radar um yeah, I mean, she said she put this out because she's working on the next album. She can't really do that. So she just kind of threw these songs together and threw them out there. And, you know, for when you're setting that kind of expectations, the guy just kind of made these songs, you know, not going to be on the album. Uh, here they are. Mm-hmm. Still sounds pretty good, you know. And Absolutely. like you said, it, I, I think that like dream pop, like all R&B stuff that she does so well, like we don't really get much of like the Latin pop that she did on the last album but like she's already demonstrated that she can kind of float in and out and stuff while still kind of having like this i don't know it's like really like it's it's an oddly engaging voice it's kind of hard to hard to explain but like when when, when you only release four tracks it's either you like them or you don't you know it's hard to take too much of a grand statement around a little ep like this but yeah i thought most of them sounded pretty good yeah and I don't think she has like the the most amazing pipes in the world. Like I think her range no. is pretty limited, but she really, I think especially on a song like Angel where she's really just like kind of like riding the wave of that beat so perfectly. I think that's kind of where her sweet spot is, is finding these grooves, finding these songs that are really well-crafted and that fit to her vocal range and kind of her delivery and it just really worked on that song for me. So I'm hoping to hear a lot more of that in the upcoming album. I'm also interested just to see where she goes as a pop star. Cause I feel like isolation came, you know, it was on a lot of year end lists, got a lot of recognition. And then she kind of, I don't know. I feel like she hasn't really stood out in the, in the past couple of years. I know she's had a couple of features here and there and, and it seems like she's trying to stay in it, but this is like the first time. And, and she was pretty far down the Spotify list too. And we know that that's somewhat, uh, affected by you being you being willing to play the game, you know the ringer uh, right now similarly is like not on iTunes podcast list because they're associated with Spotify. So there's there's a lot more that goes into positioning on these apps and than right. just quality. But the fact she was so far down on the release list, I was like, man, this feels like a bit of disrespect for for Kaylee. Yeah, yeah that was strange. Yeah, definitely reminds me too. Five Year Foreign was not on Rap Caviar this week he signed to columbia records it's not like he's some no-name guy it's just some some petty bs what that is but yeah Kelly, you just like you have enough critical acclaim and you've made songs to the creator right why are we not promoting this person she's on a, a major too it like right wait so annoying it's strange definitely strange um but someone i i am excited to hear her album hopefully we get that on time but dave it's time to move on to what I'm most excited to talk about today, which are two excellent TV shows. Let's start with David Simon's most recent miniseries, The Plot Against America. We talked about the first episode, uh, you know, based on, on a fairly well-known book. Uh, 
the plot is basically if uh, Lindenberg won the presidency. Lindenberg. Uh, Lindenberg. You got uh, it. Lindbergh. Lindbergh. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I was like, am I saying it wrong? I was saying it wrong. Uh, if Lindbergh won the uh, presidency over FDR, and if he was mm. also basically like a, a Nazi sympathizer or puppet yeah. as the president. Um, we really liked the first episode. We talked about how it really was just like table setting, setting the world that David Simon does so well in these shows. I was a little bit nervous. I don't know if I mentioned this in the uh, in the first episode review, but I was a little bit nervous about how how well he was going to be able to do that in a six episode miniseries because a lot of his shows, like The Deuce, The Wire, are multi seasons. You really kind of live in these worlds. Um, they're ten episode seasons, so there's just a lot more time. I mean, I should never have doubted David Simon because I came away from this really blown away and mostly blown away at the way he was able to like build tension in this show. So it, it leading up to the last two episodes and the tension was, it was never anything like super, super big. Like it's not like Breaking Bad where there's these huge gunfights and these huge, like we have to like get out or like get away from this like cartel right. member or, you know, like Better Call Saul, like we're about to talk about in a second. It's, the fights between the family it's the tension it's the things he doesn't show you and how they affect the people and they affect the interpersonal relationships and just the, the cultural climate that uh, just so beautifully done so I, I of course was blown away and david simon remains one of the kings in the tv world how were you feeling similarly yeah you know it's funny coming off the first episode when we talked about it kind of laying out expectations of like you said we we know Simon's going to present uh, applicable commentary to the modern times through an adaptation of a novel taking place in the 1940s because that's mm. how talented he is. And it kind of goes, I, honestly, as expected. You know, I don't know if there's really any surprises, whether you're familiar with the novel or not, but because he's able to weave in familiarity with themes and, and the sentiments of characters in such, I think ultimately, I think it's really done really well because it's usually pretty subtle. There's no on the nose quotes, but it because they always make sense in the context of the story of the show. But it always just brings you back to today and, and and you know talking points and whatnot. And um, you know, I, I think of like when he's talking to his friend at the, uh, I don't know, he's talking to his brother David Crumholtz, and he's like, you know, he's mm -hmm. just making like, well, you're a businessman, so you don't really care as long as the money's good. And it's like, oh, wow, we know it. We know that that's a comment about <laughs> that was great. Um, yeah. Yep. But obviously the scripts are great. The world building, the set design is immaculate and acting is awesome. That Zoka's on was really great. You know, she almost could have used more scenes. Like we get a lot of Morgan Spector. And mm -hmm. I don't know if he like his character really has a lot of growth. He's just kind of like presenting this like silent rage. He's probably embodying how Simon really feels. And Simon is a Jewish man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I thought it was awesome overall. It's uh, and at six episodes too, it's like, it's so easy to recommend because you get so much and such little time investment because he's that good. Yeah. I agree about Kazan. I think she was the biggest winner in all this for me. Um, I mean, you obviously have Winona Ryder, and John Tutoro, who are just forces and really like the, the, uh, probably the, the characters who you kind of like and end up being the most despicable in a way, you know, and, and despicable by their ignorance and their, yeah, 
idiocy. Um, but Kazan and the way that her character um, just completely grows into this strong minded female in this household where you just kind of keep stepping up and saying like no this is what i believe this is the way i that things are this is what we should do and to finally hear sandy say to her or not sandy to finally hear um her husband say to her at the end uh, herman say to her you were right we should have gone best like that was like such a it felt like such such a win, but then it was too late. And I think that that's the thing Simon does so so well in this. Is like you're you you feel just as trapped as as her and 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 the kids do, even though Sandy is a little shit the whole time and doesn't realize to the very end. I hated that kid, man. Could not stand yep. him. As I'm watching it, I'm like, ah, oh, here's that thing where portrayals of uh, teenage and preteen ch- ch- children on screen usually is tough. And well, it was certainly intentional in this one because God is Sandy a little shit basically the whole time. Uh, yep. Just just detestable, right? And, Absolutely. Um, I was actually quite impressed with um, Azzy Robertson who plays, uh, what's the little, what's little, what's the little kid's name? Philip. Philip? Yeah. yeah. Um, really emotive face for like yep. an eight-year-old or however old he is. You know, obviously, he was in Marriage Story. He's a mm-hmm. renowned child actor, I guess. But I thought, I thought he actually was pretty impressive for playing the little kid i thought him and jake jacob level who played selden both really good and yeah. uh selden i was most impressed by his voice work because yeah. man when when best is on the phone with right. him and he's like my mom my mom she's, she's dead and like she, that that phone call dude my heart was literally breaking i was like we gotta go get selden like we gotta go i was getting he just I wants to, go to play chess and collect stamps bro come on no oh that is so heartbreaking and also how philip you know tells his aunt like i want him to i don't want to move away from my best friend then they get sent to kentucky, kentucky or yeah, yeah wherever they went oh heartbreaking um that that drive where herman and sandy go to kentucky to retrieve selden was some of the most tense like stuff i can remember and it was like slow moving you know like when that clan when they go by that that church is on fire or it was a synagogue and the clansmen are um like just in the street and they're staring at herman he's like reaching for the gun has it clicked like oh my god my heart like stopped with that and just amazing because like I said, like even you see the the nephew there, played by Anthony Boyle, um, going. Uh, Al, is the name Alvin? Yeah, uh, going to he goes to war, loses his leg. You never see him in the war, other than some basic mm-hmm. training and and getting ready for things. But you don't see him actually in battle. You don't see him lose his leg. You kind of just see the after effects. Right. You don't see like Lindenberg's child get taken. How that mm-hmm. kind of impacts whatever and and also from it, you just see like the cultural impact it has on the side. Um, and I, I just thought Simon is just so good at showing you what, what's, what's important and right. not getting lost in the weeds and things. So yeah, again, great. Yeah. The, uh, the that one scene in, uh, in London when they're like, when he's with the uh, British soldier that he has a little fling with and uh, mm. the air raid's going to start. So they're like, Oh, let's go in this, uh, the tunnels and it shows like it's Camden town. It's like, Oh, cool. There you go. Mm-hmm. But um, I like because like there's a lot of smoke and stuff, and there's, the camera's like behind that. I'm like, oh, cool. This was totally just made on like a set, but it looks really good. Yeah. And you know, 
that was like the one time I could like see the filmmaking. Otherwise, it's like I don't know where they. Uh, I didn't look up where they shot this uh, fictional uh, Newark, but like the, the period detail. I mean, obviously, really stands out. And you know, I really like too is I think this will probably, uh, being that it's on HBO has a large platform, this help probably just generally provides more awareness about the shittiness of Henry Ford and Charles Lindbergh. When obviously this is a completely fictional story. But those uh, character traits that we get from Lindbergh and Ford in this are, are based on reality. Ford, mm-hmm. in particular, was 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 a, like a really racist guy, and mm-hmm. he's obviously not portrayed in good light in this. So I think that's kind of educates <laughs> more people, you know. Yeah. And even Lindbergh, who uh, exposed some questionable ideals as like a pacifist and like not really a Nazi, but not exactly anti-Nazi, like. Um, and like pro eugenics and stuff. Like I think they just will spur some good Googling, you know, because mm-hmm. everyone just knows Charles Lindbergh. I ah, flew the plane across, uh, across the Atlantic, the Atlantic that guy. Atlantic. Well, actually he sucked too, but nice. well, yeah. Well, in his child <laughs> crime, crime of the century is what it was called. Cause child's kidnapped from its crib. That was the whole thing. Uh, by the way, just, it was actually shot on scene for, or uh, sorry, on location for a lot of this, like in Jersey, in down in New York City in parts, and then Hell yeah. a little bit in Baltimore. So uh, David Simon getting that on location filming. Do we, do we know what Simon's next thing is? I couldn't find anywhere what his next project was. No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, and obviously if he had anything planned, it hasn't really, wasn't able to start right. due to all the shutdowns. But it's, yeah, because like when the Deuce was wrapping up season three, we already knew what the plot against America, and they had basically already yeah. shot it. Like he was working fast. So I, mean, it, I guess it seems like he was maybe just taking a little time because mm-hmm. he, he, he basically worked for four years straight between the Deuce and this. So yeah, I don't blame him. It's all good. But take your time. Yeah, whenever he comes back, whatever he wants to make, I'm all in on it, man. Right. I mean, in terms you, of like the prolific uh, TV titans of the time, he without a doubt makes the most 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 shows so for sure he, he's well ahead in that regard he's allowed to take an extra year off if he wants <laughs> and dave since we're in quarantine and uh, we're gonna be finishing up westworld next week this could be a good time for you to dive into the wire and catch up it is a good time i think about this multiple times a week have i started it no i haven't <laughs> one day yeah well one day you'll get to it and you'll you won't regret it i've um, only said that for i don't know <laughs> eight years of my life maybe <laughs> well if you are a david simon fan in any way or just a fan of historical fiction we recommend the plot against america um now moving on to a tv show total fiction but excellent fiction is vince gilligan's second series in the breaking bad world better call saul um season five wrapped up this past monday <sighs> you know dave we so we talked about season four and I think season three as well on the pod and mm-hmm. pretty much every time we, we walk away and we're like yeah Vince Gilligan's really really good at making television and kind of like tying these lines together building characters creating moments that are really really memorable um, but I think we both kind of felt like Breaking Bad's gonna be the best thing he's ever done and I think it's a testament to how good the season is that I kind of am questioning if that's gonna be the case when Saul's completely over because this season of Saul is fucking awesome, dude. It's so good. Yeah, Better Call Saul season five, clearly the the uh, best season of the show to date. Mm-hmm. And because Gilligan and Peter Gould have already made Breaking Bad and are now five seasons into Saul, 
they're just more accomplished now than they were when they were making Breaking Bad. So it's like even if like Breaking Bad has like more, I guess, narrative importance to the existence of Saul, obviously, and is a much more popular show, more populous show, largely thanks to uh, Netflix. Better Call Saul is eclipsing it in certain ways just because like it's just complete tacticians at doing their thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, I know Gilligan, he, he his, his in, in, influence in the seasons has waned, uh, particularly when he's making El Camino, of course, but they never, the hallmark of Saul, which is especially true now with season five, where it, the, the, all the storylines have finally meshed. Breaking Bad World has met the Better Call Saul world in earnest we're never delivered beats and moments the way we expect because these two men are just that talented at you know creating crafting the story and they'll they're they're happy to tell you that a lot of stuff that's happened throughout the year both in saw and breaking bad um had just been things that come to them you know not everything there's not this grand plan from the start right like things have changed but the way they they've been able to get you this complete investment in a prequel show. It just blows me away, honestly. And I mean, we think we keep coming back to that line early in Breaking Bad where uh, Saul Goodman, one of his first lines to, I believe, Walt and Jesse is, he's, uh, uh, did, uh, did Lalo send you? Or was it Ignacio? Whatever, whatever the quote is. Mm-hmm. Basically, you know, cementing the existence of Lalo and, and, and Nacho, right? And the whole, just trying to figure out what the hell that means. It's, it's, I think it's, it's on the back of the head, right? But, Obviously, I think the chief concern, of course, would be Kim. And Reese Seahorn, uh, I think, was proved with this season that she's the MVP of the show. Uh, oh, God, because yeah. I think she's what elevates it. Obviously, Bob Odenkirk, who was also excellent this season, has more screen time. Uh, but but Kim is what takes it up. And I don't think Gilligan and Gould have ever flipped something on its head in, uh, in terms of what you expected more than what they did at the end of this finale, where Kim truly doubled down on her you know faith and love for jimmy mm. and when 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 she turns around and does the finger guns it's i was just like like fuck yeah like this this is amazing you know oh and by the way they gave us an iconic villain in the fifth season in, in lalo so yeah. yeah this shit rocks it's my it's my <laughs> best show of the year so far yeah man the the kim wexler character arc um has been and, and this is the thing about like a, a multi-season show where you get to really like fall in love with these characters and get to know them. And Rhea Seahorn, you know, quietly in the first couple seasons was like the steady hand, like the 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 one who you were like, oh yeah, you know, like silently she's the real MVP of the show, and it was a very popular thing to say. And then the last two seasons, it was before season five, it was pretty much like known, like she's probably the, the heart of the show so to speak and she's she's the uh the audience avatar within the show you know you kind of see the world similarly to how she does near appalled by what jimmy's doing but you're still rooting for him and you still kind of believe in him and then he turns into saul right at the end of last season you're like okay like he's he's, he's broken bad like this is what we've all been waiting for hey. and uh then kim fucking breaks bad or she at least starts to in the season right. and the mirroring of the end of season four with that scene of uh, Kim and Jimmy in the hotel room where Kim is plotting against Howard and, and breaking bad herself. And you're like, 
fuck. Like they totally flipped that on, on its head. You totally like are just as in shock as Jimmy is when all this is happening. And you're just like, is you, we don't have Kim the way we used to anymore. And now you kind of see maybe the show isn't necessarily about, you know, like a tragedy in terms of like, I mean, it's, it's been a set of tragedies to be honest, but maybe it's not actually going to break down the way that we thought it was where Jimmy's going to be against, you know, he's going to become Saul because of the way that he's been treated as a lawyer. Maybe it's because of things that happened between him and Kim, or maybe things that Kim does. Like there's so much leading into this next season. And obviously, mm-hmm. you know, we, we're not even talking about the cartel shit where they all expect Lalo to be dead. And now he's going to be on a war path to go get Nacho and, Gus and everybody related. This next season's going to be unbelievable, dude. Um, and so many good episodes and moments within this season. I want to talk about the the desert stuff was yep. fucking awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Was it a bag man and then a the bad road taken or something? something like yeah, some road something. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. I think the and the one thing that's been constant has been Jonathan Banks as as Mike. Uh, mm-hmm. Mike Urbantrout hasn't exactly changed much. You know, and I think that's kind of been like observations about the storyline is that the cartel stuff has almost been a bit of a holding pattern as we need more time for Jimmy and Kim to mm-hmm. progress, right? So, like, as a result, Nacho floats in and out. I'd like more Nacho just because Michael Mando is so great. Like, he's really good at, uh, <laughs> like, like seething with, mm-hmm. like, uh, discontent for what he's doing and being asked to do without obviously really expressing anything really awesome performance, really understated, you know, but like Gus and Mike themselves, not a whole lot really changes with them. I guess we learn a little bit more about Gus's backstory. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that really added a whole lot personally, but you know, having the cartel stuff kind of come full force and having uh, a lot, like when Lalo shows up at the apartment, um, and that's that's what like a, a fifteen minute scene almost like yeah. um, w- something that just, just completely holds your uh, your attention and 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 like you're on the edge of your seat the whole time right and um and then it doesn't go the way you think uh, Kim doesn't get killed Jimmy yep. doesn't get fucked up no you know it's it, it it's fucking great um, Kim Kim fucking tells him off. She yeah. she tells him what he needs to go do, and he listens to her. He like, and I think that's that's the moment where like Kim really turns, you know, because like this whole part of of Jimmy's world, you know, being in the game as he kind of describes it to her, mm-hmm. gets brought into her life, and she's already kind of made the decision like, all right, instead of breaking up with Jimmy, I'm gonna marry him so that we can't get fucked over if we find we both can't get fucked over if they find out we had kind of hatched this plot for sandpiper but uh or was it the the bank uh, or whatever uh, yeah the the, the uh Col- mesa verde yeah ma- yeah mesa verde shyward and uh, coakley whatever playing was yeah 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 but then this cartel world gets dropped in her lap and she either can like shy away from it or like stand up and like be in the shit like like she decided to be and when when jimmy picks up the phone and is talking to mike and is like did you did you hear all that and he's like i heard that she fucking saved your ass i was like yep this is (laughs) this is the moment man like and they cracked it so well and you expect something big to go down and it's just so tense but gripping the acting is phenomenal um yeah just blown away by the show overall i i think the interesting thing about this season is i feel like mike was a lot more mike in this season you know they 
in the past they, they kind of had the storyline with the builders of the the lab um, right. yes. and i felt like that kind of that yeah. and the the stuff with his son being brought up and how and how that affects his relationship with his granddaughter and and daughter-in-law mm-hmm. um that all really like built him out as a person but i felt like especially from the the see the episodes in the desert half you really feel like okay you're with mike from breaking bad again and i think you know along those lines you get hank showing up for in a cameo episode the cousins drop in a little again like we're just fully in that breaking bad world with so much yet unresolved you know it's like maybe kim doesn't die right nacho i don't feel great about his fate but either way there's a lot more lalo stuff that needs to be resolved Mm -hmm. in one final season and um yeah tony dalton's lalo might be like the the second mvp for me of this season behind ria seahorn because man every time he was on screen just fucking magnetic and like menacing while also being charming at the same time just fantastic yeah absolutely unfortunately it feels like we're not going to get this final season and i'm I'm assuming not to 2022 because mm. i mean we don't we don't we don't know if they have moved forward enough with the script so i doubt they really start doing any kind of shooting this year at the end of the year when they're allowed to do that again so late 2021 at the earliest but i think probably two years from now so it's going to be a long wait but yeah um really excited for it obviously because this honestly was just kind of just blows you away each and every week and i mean you talk about howard you know i thought his shit was hilarious <laughs> most of the times the way they just kind of transitioned him into uh, comic relief and 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 then playing that all into the end with uh, kim breaking bad you know it's mm-hmm. can't say enough good things no absolutely not um i'm never gonna forget the wall the way lalo says hey guys like just the way he like has like that like uh upbeat tempo right before he goes in to potentially kill them so good anyways uh breaking uh, not breaking bad better call saul check it out um we checked out some movies on netflix this weekend as well as one movie on hbo so we're gonna dave and i split this up i'm gonna talk about extraction we'll start there dave will talk about time to hunt and then we'll both jump back in for uh, bad education so extraction getting a lot of publicity i see it saw it talked about a lot on twitter uh you have chris hemsworth playing this ex-australian military uh specialist who's now a mercenary for hire gets hired to go and basically extract this extraction extract this uh child who's been kidnapped um and and deliver him back to his family and, and man so it's it's the first film from sam hargrave who was captain who was the uh captain america stunt double for chris evans and all the marvel movies he has a great relationship with the russo brothers who are also um producers on this uh he's also worked with the uh the director of the john wick movies whose name is escaping me at the moment um chad stahelski yes thank you um and really, I think what stands out most and what you'd expect is the action in this is fucking cool. Like, it's really, really cool. Uh, it's kind of shot like a video game at points. And there's one very long tracking scene that are probably, well, those are probably like the two things that stand out most about the action. But the action also seems fairly realistic at points. Like, uh, you know, Chris Hemsworth is still like a superhero. He 
flies out of buildings. He hits, he gets hit by cars and he gets back up and he's fine. Um, <laughs> but at points, like people are really like bloodied up in this and people don't just like, uh, they aren't like a, just not impacted. Like he'll get hit by a car and then he'll actually like take he'll be down for like a minute and like the other guy will be like circling around like looking for something to kill him and they both kind of can jump back into it but you really uh, are like sucked in by the action of extraction which i think is great the only thing is uh, i think the script and the writing around building out chris evans character tyler rake what a fucking name (laughs) tyler rake uh is it's pretty i i feel like the writing and the character development is pretty poor um you know he's this uh i don't know if he's divorced it's never really said but he's at least estranged from his wife who seems like after his son died their relationship mm-hmm. went to shit. so there's this like emotional backstory and his relationship with this kid um is you know supposed to be like the driving force and emotional development i don't know i just didn't really buy it um uh, david harbour shows up for a quick cameo as like a an old army pal who's like helping him out but then wants to kill the kid because he feels like the kid's gonna get killed anyway so why make him suffer and liam hemsworth or chris hemsworth has to fight him off and that that seems kind of cool but like i don't really buy david harbour as like this i guess he's like ex-military maybe but like i don't really buy him as like a super badass all the time so i was kind of like huh. eh, i don't know do you, do you buy david harbour as a badass like character is it done all that all that often um yeah I didn't watch him be Hellboy, so I can't speak to that. <laughs> yeah. But, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting. I think we'll kind of find out in this Black Widow movie, but I feel like he just plays like goofy dad vibes so well. And I really equate him to, uh, you know, his character in Stranger Things, who he's like tough, but like not like the toughest dude ever. So it's, yeah, I don't know. Didn't really hit with me, but regardless enjoyable hour and 40 minutes um hemsworth very good at action very believable as like a mm-hmm. action figure so um overall you can watch worse movies so it's pretty yeah. good check it out i think when it's like actually like impressive stunt work in in, in strides it just makes yeah. it watchable like i don't think anyone's expecting this to be this um mission impossible level story even a john wick level mythos you're just trying to watch Hemsworth kick a lot of ass, run around and stuff, and right. it delivers. So it's kind of like recommending like Six Underground, right? Yeah, For exactly. what it's achieving or setting out to achieve, it largely does that. So it's mm-hmm. hard to, I think, be too critical, right? Yeah. I, like I, that, I totally beginning, that beginning fight in particular is probably like recommending the first 30 minutes of Six Underground, right? It's like just kind of wild action choreography. Just watch it. You want to check well, that after it, that by all means, but... It's a really smart setup, right? Because he goes in to get this kid, things go wrong, and then he's kind of stuck in, uh, let's see, I wrote it down. Bangladesh. He's in Bangladesh. Yeah, he's in Dhaka, Bangladesh. And then all these people are out to get him, so he has to get himself out of there. And, like, the escape, like, aspect is such a good setup. Um, constant obstacles in his way, things going on. So uh, very, very good setup. Action's great. Storyline's not believable, but you're not watching that for this so um definitely worth worth your time i'd say do you feel the same way about time to hunt uh yes i do time to hunt's interesting because it's quite a long movie it's over two hours mm. and i think that that is one of the major faults of the film but i liked a lot about this it's a uh 
dystopian crime thriller in like a near future South Korea. It's a Korean film. It's directed by Yoon Sung Hoon, who um, burst out in the Korean film scene a lot oh, several years ago with this movie called Bleak Night. That got a lot of love over there. Didn't didn't get distribution over here. And this is really his first film since. And it's kind of notable because you have a uh, Lee Jae Hoon as one of the uh, lead actors. He's was a uh, big in this Korean show called Signal that again really popular over there. And of course, Choi Woo Sik is in this. He was I think most recognizable to everyone as Kevin from Parasite, mm. and he's also in Train to Busan as well, which is a well-liked uh, Korean horror movie. So I think those two faces have kind of like gotten hype for the movie for people that are aware of it. And it, uh, it debuted at Berlin back in February and was supposed to be released in theaters and then coronavirus happens, obviously. And then funny enough, it was supposed to be on Netflix back on April 10th, but there was a suit between the distributor and the production company over like, you know, sales being made for distribution, blah, 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 got held up. Either way, they settled just came out this past Friday on Netflix. And, you know, it's funny because um, the director, he, he, he was actually born in America and you kind of see a lot of the American uh, film influence on this movie. Hmm. Uh, there's a lot of like really obvious, like establishing drone shots and stuff. And I think just the overall like um, appetite for action and gunplay, just I think kind of uncommon for Korean movies, which kind of has a different, they kind of have a different relationship to, to guns over there than, they, than we do here. And um, I think that that's kind of like a cool like meta thing. Like, like you can kind of see the American influence. But either way, um, it's kind of a simple film where in this dystopian thing, where dystopian world, Korea, where Korean currency has tanked so badly that uh, there's really little hope for most people in the world. These uh, four buddies decide to rob a illegal casino so they can have money to move away. And they succeed, but then they get hunted as a result. And that's really the, that's really the premise. And, uh, you know, I think the, the movie does drag a little bit due to its length and starts to spin its wheel in a certain sense. Uh, and the characters, I guess, don't really grow all that much, but I really liked how it sets itself up. You know, it takes a good 20 minutes to get to the actual heist. So you get to spend some time with those characters. And then, Ultimately, kind of what I really liked was just, there's just these really well-made set pieces where whether you're in this uh, parking garage or in a hospital and the color palette's really varied and um, they actually we actually get some like psychological aspects to these characters as they're grappling with uh, being hunted and losing people and stuff. And um, ultimately, I guess the script's a little uh, similar to Extraction, the ultimate part of the story. It's kind of hard to hard to believe some of the things but the movie's so committed to its um you know its world and you kind of believe that you're in these like abandoned office parks and and and, and empty hospitals and all these kind of things right and i did like i did like these actors so yeah i liked it a lot um but it, it, it's a little long yeah i saw <clears throat> i was gonna check it out um i didn't have enough time because I, I had like a hour and a half window and i was like you know maybe i can stretch that hour 40 or like maybe skip through a couple parts of it's like a little slow but i was like two hours 14 minutes feels like a lot a lot to sit through um however i did check out 
bits and pieces of like the first like third of it mm-hmm. um and I, I agree i think parts of like the sparseness of the world feels very unbelievable at times that was like my main thing i noticed was like wow there's really no one around here until they go to the casino but i i really enjoyed from what i've seen so far um like you said the color palette of it like feels very cool and also like the relationships between all the characters i kind of like the uh, like um especially i'm i'm not totally remembering their names but the buddy who i i got to the part right before they they leave after the Mm -hmm. and the buddy who's like offering to like like take me and offering that he's like yeah of course the relationship was really built up well and i was i'm interested to see how the rest of that goes but just didn't have enough time to to finish this yet so uh, uh, you 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 got me in, Dave. I want to finish it now. I want to go see how it ends. Uh, definitely worth checking out. Yeah, there's also this moment where a character is giving a monologue, where I expect him to say "Time to Hunt" the title, and I'm like, "Oh, we're getting the Rick Dalton meme. He's got a point," and he doesn't actually say it. And I'm like, "Ah, shit! <laughs> it was right there." <laughs> I I love that that Rick Dalton meme, by the way. Just fantastic stuff. Give me more Rick Dalton. <laughs> also, give me more bad education dude um i gotta be honest i i I thought i was gonna like this movie right i mean you have you have uh hugh jackman you have allison janney you have uh this fairly well known if you're from the area uh story about corruption the long island like school systems but i was really impressed with with this film and i i thought the uh i thought the director Corey finley really just kind of let the facts of the story speak for itself he obviously had to take a couple liberties because like if you if you kind of look up the the real person that did this he's not this like very skinny built person um (laughs) he actually spent a lot of money on like diet pills and things like that he's not as dashing as hugh jackman you don't say yeah Hard, hard to be, but uh, the, so they, they had to make a couple of adjustments. Like that. he was spending money on plastic surgery rather than uh, diet pills and things like that. But overall, I felt like the uh, the story and the way it kind of unraveled in this was done so well. I just found myself at times, especially in the first like half of the movie, being like, "How is he Jackman? Like, we need to uncover this." Like, I thought that, and I I found myself just mm-hmm. wanting to like get more and more information. So really enjoyed bad education. I, I saw on letterbox you gave it a four out of five stars dave four out of five is pretty good so you must like it too uh yeah <laughs> that beginning seat that be like for end of act one scene or beginning of act two where um alice and janney has been caught hmm. uh basically embezzling the shit out of the school district and when uh jackman's attempting to cover it up and then we're saying it's like I am a sick woman. And like <laughs> that whole dance they do. And I actually really like the chemistry between them. Like I think of the scene where they're on the bleachers and she gives him a bite of her sandwich. Cause he's on this like no carb diet. Right. And it's like, wow. Like the, this script and Finley just did the directing, but like the script is really, uh, uh, really gives you a lot of rope with, with, with the character dynamics. And, I think Corey Finley, this is his second film. I loved, loved, loved his debut, Thoroughbreds. And these movies actually, in a sense, serve as a kind of a piece because they're both kind of uh, dragging down like 
the aloofness of the wealthy right especially in like these new york hyper wealthy areas like long island and westchester right like thoroughbreds is about these nihilistic girls that aren't happy even though they have nothing wrong with their lives and then obviously bad education is about these people that actually in a sense have good intentions but just completely rationalize um obviously very criminal behavior right so um well, and that's, I'm very that's, interested in, in Corey Finley's career just because he seems to definitely have a, a thing he's interested in, in portraying. Yeah, and I think that's actually, I think that comes across pretty well in the story, right? Is that um, there's so little like parent involvement in a lot of these, in, in this up until the very, very end when they find out just how deep a lot of this went because Tim was doing really well. It was third it was like ranked third in the country because the school was so good asking why is that roof always leaking and never getting fixed you know or Mm -hmm. we really have to spend eight million dollars on this cosmetic thing and then to kind of almost have uh hugh jackman's character unravel it himself by encouraging that you know the the yeah writer to find a story even in a puff piece it's pretty uh i think that's pretty well done um I, I think the one thing I would say, and this isn't necessarily a knock on um, Finley, but I wish we had gotten more of Hugh Jackman and Janny together and Janny kind of disappears after she gets caught for a little right. while and it just becomes Jackman's movie. But um, I really, I agree. I really liked their chemistry. Um, I also just, I couldn't stop laughing when I finally recognized the J- Janny son as uh, the guy from American Vandal season yep. one. I was like, oh, that's He's such getting a good type cast. Yeah. <laughs> it just felt so perfect, though, for what was yep. going on. Um, yeah. The reporter, too, that's uh, Geraldine, uh, I forgot to say her last name, v- v- Vicenithan. She's uh, made her name for herself in Blockers a few years ago and has had some other roles. And mm. I actually really like her, her, her energy. So happy to see this and heck uh, to her, her her colleague at the paper was uh alex wolf of all people too who's mm-hmm. been around a long time uh yeah it's, you know this movie premiered at tiff back in 2019 and then hbo buys it and in a sense in a normal world i almost would have preferred this be picked up by somebody else that way this would have been in theaters and could have competed for mm-hmm. oscars obviously now this is going to compete uh for emmys as an hbo yeah. movie but um I think it's it's one of Hugh Jackman's best role in, a, in quite a long time. You know, I mean, he, he was pretty good in the front runner as well. Um, and I think like families liked him in Great Showman, but he hasn't really like shown. You know, I, I think it, it kind of kind of a multi layered performance, right? Like as things start to crumble and and you get other parts of this uh, this character, and he's starting to starting to crack, but not quite right. Mm-hmm. And he also does a I think a pretty good well of um, playing, playing like all the sides of all the stories, right? Obviously, he's like living very much a, a double life. So, uh, really, really, just really happy with his performance. So, it's, it seems like a HBO was really invested in this. Can kind of an interesting, a uh, interesting release yeah, the- plan, releasing it Saturday night at was eight eight p.m. or whatever it was. That's a pr- pretty uncommon to really have anything premiere on a Saturday yeah. night of all of all times. The the Jackman point I think is really interesting because I'm I'm tr- I'm thinking about I mean Logan probably his best performance in the in recent history, um, but he kind of stumbled upon that by playing the superhero and you know Wolverine had that yeah. his, the solo movies got fucking 
roasted and are just bad. Um, Greatest Showman, I wouldn't say is a great movie, but no. it's entertaining. Um, and then he was also in the Les Mis remake, yeah. if I'm remembering right. So he's kind of either done these really popular um, like musicals or kind of stumbled into superhero movies, but nothing else really. So it is nice to see him kind of get back. And Janny, I mean, everything she does is just like top notch now, like constantly putting out mm-hmm. quality. Uh, so what do you think is like the the theory or like the strategy behind releasing it uh, Saturday at eight? I wonder if it was strictly just coronavirus, you know. Um, I guess also because because HBO has their Sunday plan, so they can't do it Sunday. Obviously, they have Westworld and everything, and Insecure and Run going on Sunday, so that doesn't work. Um, and I guess they just didn't want to do Friday. I don't know. It's, it's tough to say. It's kind of strange. Um, like I guess they wanted a different day. Netflix does everything, you know, Friday, so they mm-hmm. wanted. I don't know. Definitely uncommon, yeah. though. But. Definitely. Anyways, worth checking out if you have HBO Go. Find a way to watch it. Um, probably the most Long Island, probably the best Long Island movie I can remember. It's so s- specific, like the names of the towns. If you've been in Long Island, you've probably at least seen them. Property values. <laughs> like the Roslyn and like, uh, man, like I, I was sitting there and my fiance is from Long Island. She's like, I know all these places. What is the story? And she wasn't aware of it, but then she talk to her parents and they were like oh yeah that was that was huge you know that was huge uh, down wicked here. huge <laughs> uh, you mix a little boston in there dave <laughs> wicked um anyways that we're, that's gonna do it for us this week as you said dave is next week gonna be as packed as this week probably not no 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 we have a new album from car seat headrest a band one of us likes and we have the end of season three of a show neither of us likes westworld so We'll be going from there and adding times adding plenty more, obviously. So that's t- where we're at. Times are tough. Follow us at NostalgiaPod on Twitter, SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod, YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod, and share us with friends. Follow our Best of 2020 uh, on Spotify, Nostalgia Best of 2020. See you next week. Yeah.